Chapter Fifty One of the Channings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Channings by Ellen Wood. Chapter Fifty One. An Arrival in a Fly. Was any one ever so ill-used as that unfortunate Mr. Galloway? On the morning which witnessed his troublesome clerk's departure, he sat rather longer than usual over his breakfast, never dreaming of the calamity in store for him. That his thoughts were given to business there was no doubt, for his newspaper lay untouched. In point of fact his mind was absorbed by the difficulties which had arisen in his office, and the ways and means by which those difficulties might best be remedied. That it would be impossible to get on with Roland York alone, he had said to himself twenty times, and now he was saying it again, little supposing, poor unconscious man, that even Roland, bad as he was, had taken flight. He had never intended to get along with only Roland, but circumstances had induced him to attempt doing so for a time. In the first place he had entertained hopes until very recently that Jenkins would recover. In the second place, failing Jenkins, there was no one in the wide world he would so soon have in his office as Arthur Channing, provided that Arthur could prove his innocence. With Arthur and Roland he could go on very well, or with Jenkins and Roland, but poor Jenkins appeared to be passing beyond hope, and Arthur's innocence was no nearer the light than it had been, in spite of that strange restitution of the money. Moreover, Arthur had declined to return to the office, even to help with the copying, preferring to take it home. All these reflections were pressing upon Mr. Galloway's mind. "'I'll wait no longer,' said he, as he brought them to a conclusion. "'I'll go this very day after that young Bartlett. I think he might suit with some drilling. If he turns out a second York, I shall have a nice pair upon my hands. But he can't well turn out as bad as Roland. He comes of a more business-like stock.' This point settled, Mr. Galloway took up the Times. Something in its pages awoke his interest, and he sat longer over it than had been his wont since the departure of Jenkins. It was twenty minutes past nine by his watch when he started for his office. "'Now I wonder how I shall find that gentleman,' soliloquized he when he drew near. "'Amusing himself as usual, of course. He'll have made a show of putting out the papers, and there they will be, lying unopened.' He'll be at Aunt Sally with the letters, or dancing a quadrille with the stools, or stretched three parts out of the window, saluting the passengers. I never thought he'd do me much good, and should not have taken him, but for the respect I owed the late Dr. York. Now for it. It was all very well for Mr. Galloway to say, Now for it, and to put his hand stealthily upon the door-handle, with the intention of pouncing suddenly upon his itinerant pupil but the door would not open. Mr. Galloway turned and turned and shook the handle, as our respected friend Mr. Ketch did when he was locked up in the cloisters, but he turned it to no purpose. "'He has not come in yet!' wrathfully exclaimed Mr. Galloway. "'All the work of the office on his shoulders and mine, the most busy time of the whole year, and here's half-past nine and no appearance of him. If I live this day out, I'll complain to Lady Augusta.' At this moment the housekeeper's little maid came running forward. "'Where's Mr. York?' thundered the proctor in his anger, as if the child had the keeping of him. "'Please, sir, he's gone to Port Natal.' "'Gone to—what?' uttered Mr. Galloway. 
she was unlocking the door and then stood back to curtsey while mr galloway entered following in after him an intelligent child for her years please sir mr yorke came round this morning while me and missus was a dusting of the place and he said we was to tell mr galloway when he come that he had gone to port natal and left his compliments it's not true cried mr galloway how dare he play these tricks he added to himself please sir missus said she thought it was true cause he had a carpet-bag returned the young servant mr galloway stared at the child you go round at once to lady augusta's said he and ask what mr york means by being so late i desire that he will come immediately the child flew off and mr galloway hardly knowing what to make of matters proceeded to do what he ought to have found done he and jenkins had duplicate keys to the desks letter-box etc since jenkins's illness his keys had been in the possession of roland presently the child came back again please sir her ladyship's compliments and mr roland has gone to port natal the consternation that this would have caused mr galloway had he believed it might have been pitiable an intimation that our clerk who was in the office last night pursuing his legitimate work has gone to port natal as we might say of some one who goes to make a morning call at the next door is not very credible neither did mr galloway give credence to it did you see her ladyship he asked please sir i saw one of the servants and she went to her ladyship and brought out the message the young messenger retired leaving mr galloway to his fate he persisted in assuming that the news was too absurd to be correct but a dreadful inward misgiving began to steal over him the question was set at rest by the lady augusta feeling excessively vexed with roland for not having informed mr galloway of his intended departure as from the message it would appear he had not done she determined to go round and did so following closely on the heels of the maid her ladyship had already wonderfully recovered her spirits they were of a mercurial nature liable to go up and down at touch and hamish had contrived to cheer her greatly what does all this mean where's roland began mr galloway showing little more deference to her ladyship in his flurry than he might have shown to roland himself did you not know he was going she asked i know nothing where is he gone he has started for port natal that is he has started for london on his way to it he went by the eight o'clock train mr galloway sat down in consternation my lady allow me to inquire what sort of behaviour you call this whether it is good or bad right or wrong i can't help it was the reply of lady augusta i'm sure i have enough to bear she added melting into tears of course he ought to have informed you of his intention mr galloway i thought he did he told me he had done so a reminiscence of roland's communication crossed mr galloway's mind of his words don't say i did not give you notice sir he had paid no heed to it at the time he is just another of my headstrong boys grumbled lady augusta they are all specimens of wilfulness i never knew that it was this morning he intended to be off until he was gone and i had to run after him to the station ask hamish channing he must be mad exclaimed mr galloway he says great fortunes are made out at port natal i don't know whether it is so great fortunes made irascibly responded mr galloway pittances that folks go out with are lost when they are such as he that's what it is harem scarum chaps who won't work can do no good at port natal great fortunes made indeed 
I wonder that you can be led away by notions so wild and extravagant, Lady Augusta. I am not led away by them, peevishly returned Lady Augusta, a recollection of her own elation on the point darting unpleasantly to her mind. Where would have been the use of my holding out against it, when he had his heart set upon the thing? He would have gone out in spite of me. Do you not think fortunes are made there, Mr. Galloway? I am sure they are not by such as Roland, was the reply. A man who works one hour in the day and plays eleven would do less good at Port Natal than he would in his own country. A business man, thoroughly industrious and possessing some capital, may make something at Port Natal, as he would at any other port. In the course of years he might realise a fortune. In the course of years, I say, Lady Augusta. This was not precisely the prospect Roland had pictured to Lady Augusta, or to which her own imagination had lent its hues, and she stood in consternation almost equal to Mr. Galloway's. "'What on earth will he do, then, when he gets there?' ejaculated she. "'Find out his mistake, my lady, and come home without a coat to his back, as hundreds have done before him, and worked their passage home to get here. It is to be hoped he will have to do the same. I will teach him what work is.' "'There never was such an unhappy mother as I am,' bewailed my lady. "'They will do just as they like, and always would, from George downwards. They won't listen to me. Poor dear boy, reduced perhaps to live on brown bread and pea-soup.' "'And lucky to get that,' cried angry Mr. Galloway. "'But the present question, Lady Augusta, is not what he may do when he gets to Port Natal, but what am I to do without him here? Look at the position it has placed me in.' Lady Augusta could neither give help nor counsel. In truth, it was not her fault. But she saw that Mr. Galloway seemed to think it was hers, or that it was partially hers. She departed home again, feeling cross with Roland, feeling damped about his expedition, and beginning to fancy that Port Natal might not, after all, bring her diamonds to wear, or offer her streets paved with malachite marble. Mr. Galloway sat down and reiterated the question in relation to himself, which Lady Augusta had put regarding Roland, when he should arrive at Port Natal. What on earth was he to do? He could not close his office, he could not perform its various duties himself, he could not be out of doors and in at one and the same time, unless, indeed, he cut himself in two. What was he to do? It was more than Mr. Galloway could tell. He put his two hands upon his knees and stared in consternation, feeling himself go hot and cold alternately. Could Roland, then whirling along in the train, reclining at his ease, his legs up on the opposite cushion as he enjoyed a luxurious pipe, to the inestimable future benefit of the carriage, have taken a view of Mr. Galloway and his discomfiture, his delight would have been unbounded. Incorrigible as he was, he was better than nobody, ejaculated Mr. Galloway, rubbing up his flaxen curls. He could keep office, if he did not do much in it. He received and answered callers. He went out on hasty messages. And, upon a pinch, he did accomplish an hour or so's copying. I am down on my beam-ends, and no mistake. What a simpleton the fellow must be! Port Natal, indeed, for him! If Lord Carrick were not own brother to my lady, he might have the sense to stop it. Why— Arrival the first, and no one to answer it but Mr. Galloway. A fly had driven up and stopped at the door. No one appeared to be getting out of it, so Mr. Galloway, perforce, proceeded to see what it wanted. It might contain one of the chapter, or the dean himself. But by the time he reached the pavement the inmates were descending. A short lady in a black bonnet and short black skirts had let herself out on the opposite side, and had come round to assist somebody out on this. Was it a ghost, or was it a man? 
his cheeks were hollow and hectic, his eyes were glistening as with fever, his chest heaved. He had a fur boa wrapped around his neck, and his overcoat hung loosely on his tall, attenuated form, which seemed too weak to support itself, or to get down the fly steps without being lifted. "'Now don't you be in a hurry,' the lady was saying in a cross tone. "'You'll come pitch into the mud with your nose. Can't you wait? It's my belief you are wanting to do it. Here, let me get a firm hold of you. You know you are as weak as ever was a rat.' You may recognize the voice as belonging to Mrs. Jenkins, and that poor shadow could be no one but Jenkins himself, for there certainly was not another like it in all Helstonleigh. Mr. Galloway stood in astonishment, wondering what this new move could mean. The descent accomplished, Jenkins was conducted by his wife through the passage to the office. He went straight to his old place at his desk, and sat down on his stool, his chest palpitating, his breath coming in great sighs. Laying his hat beside him, he turned respectfully to Mr. Galloway, who had followed him in, speaking with all his native humility. "'I have come, sir, to do what I can for you in this emergency.' And there he stopped, coughing, panting, shaking, looking like a man more fit to be lying on his deathbed than to be keeping office. Mr. Galloway gazed at him with compassion. He said nothing. Jenkins at that moment could neither have heard nor answered, and Mrs. Jenkins was out paying the driver. The paroxysm was not over when she came in. She approached Jenkins, slightly shook him, her mode of easing the cough, dived in his pockets for his silk handkerchief, with which she wiped his brow, took off the fur from his neck, waited until he was quiet, and began. "'I hope you were satisfied. If you are not, you ought to be. Who's to know whether you'll get back alive? I don't.' "'What did he come for?' asked Mr. Galloway. "'Ah,' said Mrs. Jenkins, "'that's just what I want to know. As if he could do any good in the state he is. Look at him, sir!' Poor Jenkins, who was indeed a sight to be looked at, turned his wan face upon Mr. Galloway. "'I cannot do much, sir, I know. I wish I could. But I can sit in the office—at least I hope I can—just to take care of it while you're out, sir, until you can find somebody to replace Mr. Rowland.' "'How did you know he was gone off?' demanded Mr. Galloway. "'It was in this way,' interposed Mrs. Jenkins, ages before poor Jenkins could gain breath to answer. "'I was on my hands and knees brushing the fluff off my drawing-room carpet this morning, when I heard something tearing up the stairs at the rate of a coach and six. Who should it be but young Mr. York on his way to Jenkins in bed, without saying so much as with your leave or by your leave? A minute or two and down he came again, gave me a little touch of his impudence, and was gone before I could answer.' "'Well, sir, I kept on at my room, and when it was done I went downstairs to see about the breakfast, never suspecting what was going on with him,' pointing her finger at Jenkins. "'I was pouring out his tea when it was ready to take up to him, and putting a bit of something on a plate, which I intended to make him eat, when I heard somebody creeping down the stairs, stumbling and panting and coughing, and out I rushed. There stood he, he, Mr. Galloway, dressed and washed as you see him now.' he that has not got up lately till evening, and me dressing him then. "'Have you have took leave of your senses?' said I to him. "'No,' said he. "'My dear, but I must go to the office to-day. I can't help myself. Young Mr. York's gone away, and there'll be nobody.' "'And good luck go with him, for all the use he's been of here, getting you out of bed,' said I. "'If Jenkins were as strong as he used to be, Mr. Galloway, I should have felt tempted to treat him to a shaking, and then perhaps he'd have remembered it.' Mr. Rowland told me he was going away, sir, and that you had nobody to replace him. 
Indeed, I gathered that you were ignorant of the step, struck in the quiet, meek voice of poor Jenkins. I could not stay away, sir, knowing the perplexity you would be put to. No, it's my belief he could not, tartly chimed in Jenkins's lady. He would have tantalized himself into a fever. Why, Mr. Galloway, had I marched him back to his bed and turned the key upon him, he'd have been capable of letting himself down by a cord from his window, in the face and eyes of all the street. Now, Jenkins, I'll have none of your contradiction. You know you would. My dear, I am not contradicting. I am not well enough to contradict, panted poor Jenkins. He would have come off there and then, all by himself. He would, Mr. Galloway, as I am a living sinner, she hotly continued. It's unbeknown how he'd have got here, holding on by the wall like a snail or fastening himself on to the tail of a cart, but try at it in some way he would. Be quiet, Jenkins. How dare you attempt to interrupt? Poor Jenkins had not thought to interrupt. He was only making a movement to pull off his greatcoat. Mrs. Jenkins resumed. No, said I to him, if you must go, you shall be conveyed there, but you don't start without your breakfast. So I sat him down in his chair, Mr. Galloway, and gave him breakfast, such as it was. If there's one thing that Jenkins is obstinate in above all others, it's about eating. Then I sent Lydia for a fly and wrapped up his throat in my boa, and that he wanted to fight against, and here he is. I wish to get here, sir, before you did, cried Jenkins meekly. I knew the exertion would set me coughing at first, but if I had sat a while before you saw me, I should not have seemed so incapable. I shall be better presently, sir. What are you at with that coat? tartly asked Mrs. Jenkins. I declare your hands are never at rest. Your coat's not to come off, Jenkins. The office is colder than our parlour, and you'll keep it on. Jenkins, humbly obeying, began to turn up the cuffs. "'I can do a little writing, sir,' he said to Mr. Galloway. "'Is there anything that is in a hurry?' "'Jenkins,' said Mr. Galloway, "'I could not suffer you to write. I could not keep you here. Were I to allow you to stop in the state you are, just to serve me, I should lay a weight upon my conscience.' Mrs. Jenkins looked up in triumph. "'You hear, Jenkins? What did I tell you?' I said I'd let you have your way for once. Twas but the cost of the fly. But that if Mr. Galloway kept you here once he set eyes on your poor creechy body, I'd eat him. Jenkins, my poor fellow, said Mr. Galloway gravely, you must know that you are not in a state to exert yourself. I shall not forget your kindness, but you must go back at once. Why, the very draught from the frequent opening of the door would do you an injury. The exertion of speaking to answer callers would be too much for you. "'Didn't I tell you so, Jenkins, just in them very words?' interrupted the lady. "'I am aware that I am not strong, sir,' acknowledged Jenkins to Mr. Galloway, with a deprecatory glance towards his wife to be allowed to speak. "'But it is better I should be put to a trifle of inconvenience than that you should, sir. I can sit here, sir, while you are obliged to be out, or occupied in your private room. What could you do, sir, left entirely alone?' "'I don't know what I can do,' returned Mr. Galloway, with an acidity of tone equal to that displayed by Mrs. Jenkins, for the question recalled all the perplexity of his position. "'Sacrifice yourself to me, Jenkins, you shall not. What absurd folly can have taken off Roland York?' he added. "'Do you know?' "'No, sir, I don't. When Mr. Roland came in this morning and said he was really off, you might have knocked me down with a feather.' He would often get talking about Port Natal, but I never supposed it would come to anything. Mr. Rowland was one given to talk. 
"'He had some tea at our house the other night "'and was talking about it then,' struck in Mrs. Jenkins. "'He said he was worked to death.' "'Worked to death!' satirically repeated Mr. Galloway. "'I'm afraid, sir, that through my unfortunate absence "'he has found the work heavier, and he grew dissatisfied,' said Jenkins. "'It has troubled me very much.' "'You spoiled him, Jenkins, that's the fact,' observed Mr. Galloway. "'You did his work and your own. Idle young dog! He'll get a sickener at Port Natal.' "'There's one thing to be thankful for, sir,' said patient Jenkins, "'that he has his uncle the Earl to fall back upon.' "'Hark at him!' interrupted Mrs. Jenkins. "'That's just like him. He'd be thankful to hear that his worst enemy had an uncle to fall back upon. That's Jenkins all over.' "'But now what is to be the next movement?' she sharply demanded. "'I must get back to my shop. Is he to come with me, or to stop here? A spectacle for every one that comes in.' But at this moment, before the question could be decided, though you may rest assured Mrs. Jenkins would only allow it to be decided in her own way, hasty footsteps were heard in the passage, and the door was thrown open by Arthur Channing. End of chapter 51